saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Thursday, August the 19th, and we gather around the, the, the word, the inspired and true word of God and continue to connect the dots from the Old Testament to Jesus in Hebrews chapter 8. As we hear of Jesus being the high priest, we get the argument all throughout chapter 7. But today we are able to see that he not only is a high priest, but where he is working from. It is so exciting and so rich to be able to see Christ uh, reflect reflected in the Old Testament and showing us that everything is fulfilled in him. Join us today as the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we have the joy of having with us regular guest pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri. Pastor Tice, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much, sir. Appreciate that. So, Pastor, uh, tell us what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Emmanuel. Well, uh, my family are dealing with uh, grandchildren have returned back to school, or at least most of them have. This uh, yesterday was their first day, so uh, change of routine going around the house for my uh, grandchildren and their parents. Uh, my wife and I are a little bit of a vacation visiting with her brother and his wife up in Michigan, so we're in a territory that's a little cooler than we normally have. Uh, <laughs> the folks at New Wells are planning to uh, observe Christian Education Sunday next Sunday in our worship service and focusing again on our uh, Sunday school teachers and those who support the sharing of God's word with the children in our parish, as well as adult education. But uh, just looking forward to the chance to focus again on the gifts God gives in his word and, and why we're studying it in the first place. It's not to learn more about God. It's not to get more knowledge about about biblical events. It's to help ourselves walk in this relationship with Jesus Christ and as saint and sinner at the same time, see how much we need what God gives us, and then by His grace and work of the Holy Spirit, be strengthened to walk as His people. So, I, like how you, I, like how, I like how you said that, because there is that reality, first of all, that we're not only getting to school starting, but also education in our congregations, Sunday school, Bible study, um, and, and that's so important for us to remember. So keep that in your prayers, uh, whether you are a Sunday school teacher or you are just a member. Um, pray for those who will teach our children and other people to point them to Christ. And I like how you said it. it we don't have a Sunday school so that we get better at Bible trivia. Um, we, right. we hear the word of yeah. God for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in faith and point us once again to Christ. Any, any other thoughts before we begin here, Pastor? Well, I think as we're looking here at, the, at this section on priesthood, I, I do want to address just a little bit, uh, and I'll do that after prayer, the, uh, the transition of, of the high priesthood from the time of David through the time of Jesus, because there's some interesting details there I think we need to keep in mind when we start talking about the writer to the Hebrews and the period in history in which he writes and the whole topic of high priest in that time span and how you and I maybe glimpsing it from afar, think of it as one massive, uh, cohesive thing, and it really wasn't. 
Ah, I'm looking forward to this. Pastor, as we are about to get into that, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessings for us in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty and gracious God, you have given us access to your throne through the gifts of Jesus our Savior, as he has come to us by word and spirit, by sacrament and proclamation, we have received the benefits of the work he has done for us. Since we have such a great high priest who is able to access you and sits at the right hand of the heavenly place, gracious God, receive our petitions for your blessing upon our study of your word today, upon those who share and teach the word in their own homes, in their families, in congregations, as teachers in Sunday school or in parochial schools, as students resume study in preparation for service in your church at our Concordia universities and our seminaries, continue to open our eyes and our minds by the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might see your blessing and by the power of your spirit, walk in your truth for the good of others and for the praise of your holy name. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions as we study Hebrews chapter 8, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or give us a call, 1-800-730-2727 or 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, as you mentioned before, and I'm really looking forward to this, because the language that is used continuously, especially the last, I would say, four or five chapters, has been Jesus being greater than Moses, but also Jesus being our high priest. We're going to get more into right. that in chapter 9, but it's important because we can kind of put it in mm-hmm. a box in what I mean you're saying, and we need to be able to understand kind of the, the breadth of, okay, what was the high priest? How did people see it throughout history? So, so I'll just have you run with it. This sounds great. Go ahead. Okay. Well, as, as we look at this section, of course, and the Hebrews itself as an epistle, doesn't list an author, doesn't indicate who wrote it. Uh, the time period is, has always been assumed to be after the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit are poured out at Pentecost, the Christian church has been formed and they're worshiping, but it's before the temple is destroyed by the Romans. And so the, the question for the new Christian, and, and especially the Christian who comes out of the background of the people of Israel is, what do we do with all these things that the priests are still doing at the temple in Jerusalem. What is this all about? How do we how do we look at this in light of who Jesus is, what he's done for us? And so to, to understand that, that part of what's going on in Hebrews is is another way of to answer the question saying what we have in Jerusalem is no longer needed because it's been superseded. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's that's really the almost for lack of a better definition, the primary purpose of the book of Hebrews. Uh, what what was once has now been superseded, and we'll get into that in great detail here in chapter 8. But the other thing goes back to the high priesthood. As we remember, going all the way back to Leviticus chapter 9, when we're told about the ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests. And this was a an appointment then that was, as, as chapter 7 points out, designated by God, and it was a man who in, inherited this through the, the priesthood of Aaron. And this is what the high priest, again, always is. He is a descendant of Aaron from the time of, of Moses and Aaron all the way through the time of David. We encounter an interesting, I'm going to call it complication. 
And that's with the succession of David uh, to the throne, you have one high priest. But during the time of Absalom's rebellion, there are, there are a couple of priests that work there, and that, where's the Ark of the Covenant going to go? And there's almost a contentious disagreement as to which priest supports David, one supports Absalom. And you mm-hmm. begin to have a, a uh, tension there that, that I would call it competing priests seeking endorsement from the king. And what is resolved then is that Zadok becomes the high priest, and this Zadok priesthood after the time of David continues until the time of the um, overthrow of the heirs, the rulers that come after Alexander the Great. And this is the, the Seleucids, Antiochus Epiphanes, when a man named Matthias uh, leads a revolt against the rulers and kicks them out because of uh, well, offering a, a unacceptable sacrifice by a man who's not a priest in the temple. And so they had, I would call it righteous indignation. But what they then do is they appoint themselves priests. And so then you have the Hasmonean priesthood. And this is a change from the time of God's command that it's descended through the line of Aaron. You have a a human being saying, we're appointing new priests. And so from the time of, of the Maccabees until the time of Jesus, the question asked, and, and at one point in time we find it in, in Scripture, where Jesus doesn't respond and somebody slaps him and says, you talk to the high priest that way. And Jesus says, I did not know he was the high priest. And what we're told about is that mm. Caius or Caius and, and Annas and Caiaphas, they had this this uh, simple relationship where the father-in-law was high priest one year, and then his son-in-law is priest the next year, but that means he's not descended from, from the man who was priest before. So the priesthood and the high priesthood has been totally reworked for political purposes by human beings. And so although it continues, it's no longer even what God instituted. And so the old one has passed away and is becoming obsolete, end of chapter 8. It was already obsolete when Jesus showed up. And this is made clear in the fact that in Leviticus chapter 9, that before any of the ordination process takes place, any sacrifices are offered, first Moses washes the priests. Mm -hmm. And Christ is baptized to begin his public ministry before he begins serving as priest, offering himself as sacrifice for our sin, fulfilling the, the law completely by his obedience, before he begins his service as priestly sacrifice and high priest in office, he is washed. And that fact is important to keep in mind. The baptism of John, of Jesus, is to fulfill all righteousness. What's he talking about? My personal belief is he's talking about his role as high priest, and he can't take it until he's washed publicly. Oh, my goodness. And then the Spirit anoints him. And then he goes out and does the work of the high priest. And so he is now the high priest, so that when he says, I did not know you were high priest, he's actually making a claim about his own, his own role in the plan of God for salvation. And again, this is, again, that last phrase there that he's making that claim. That's my reading of what's going on there. But him being mm-hmm. baptized by John is a direct copy of the, the anointing of the high priest, Aaron and his sons, following being washed by Moses. And so this is the the new covenant now being initiated 
And we'll talk about that here in chapter eight in, in more detail. And that definitely pops into your mind as you read chapter eight, and obviously chapter seven as well, is how could you not but see that connection of the washing that was required before you could even, well, one, be a priest, but even enter the tent um, and all Mm -hmm. the rituals that were there. And then Jesus did those rituals. I mean, this is um, phenomenal, uh, uh, eye-opening stuff that you just brought to us because you cannot help but see Christ even more in the Old Testament based on what you said. And you look back and then you look forward and the dots are connected even greater. So, Pastor, I'm ready to get into this as we reveal more of what it means that Jesus is our high priest. Are we ready to start? Yes, sir. All right, let's begin. Chapter 8, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, starting with the first two verses. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So the author is making a, uh, a statement of saying, this is the main point. You know, you'll hear a teacher say, okay, this is what you need to know for the test. Everything I've been saying leads to this right here. Now, this is the main point, he mm-hmm. says, about Jesus being the high priest. Unpack the first two verses as he speaks about that. Sure. Uh, what the author basically starts off with is, uh, here's the main point, the summary of the things we've been saying up to this point. <laughs> This is the kind of high priest we have. We have one who is already seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven or the majesty on high, which is a phrase that's used uh, really, uh, you know, the the greatest one is what's being used here. And that's a substitute for the name of God. It's a way of using God, um, describing him, the, the majesty on high. Who is the one on high? Who is the, who is the one who reigns over the heavens? I mean, it's clearly, he's, he's saying this one is seated at the right hand of the Holy One of Israel. And so he's putting him right there at the hand of the Father. And then our translation says um, a minister in the holy places. I think um, um, perhaps a better way to use that phrase is to actually go back to the Greek word, one elected to serve in place of others. This is This is one who is actually serving in our place. He serves us, and he's also replaced all the other high priests. So we have this this one appointed by the majesty on high, the majesty in the heavenly realm, to be the high priest to serve. And this goes back to the Melchizedekian uh, part in chapter 7. This is the the covenant, the, the different promise. This is the one who is now seated at the right hand in the true tent, that the Lord set up. And when you look at that phrase, you have this high priest now seated at the right hand who's serving in the real presence of God. And if you go back to the idea of the, the tabernacle and the, in the Old Testament being given a pattern that God says to Moses, you know, build it this way. And, and we get to that a little bit later. But this is the real tent. He's not in the copy. He's at the true tent that the mm-hmm. Lord has set up. And this is the one that's meant now to be permanently the place of worship. If you think about the Old Testament, the tabernacle, you know, it it was at Shiloh for a while, and then it was at Bethel, and it was moved back and forth in different places. And then when Solomon builds the temple, apparently he took the tabernacle and, and placed it inside the temple. 
and you read scripture, it doesn't specify exactly how he did that. Some people think he put it in a storeroom in one of the side chambers. Others think he actually set it up inside the temple walls. But again, that's speculation. Um, but the point is, this is the real deal. This is not a this is not a copy, and this one's not set up by any man copying. This is the true tent, the true place of worship, and God set it up for Himself, but also for us. And in so doing, now we have a high priest who's entered the real deal, who's actually serving in the real house of God. And, and all the Old Testament, and then in Jesus' day, New Testament high priests were serving in a physical copy, man-made. And in Jesus' day, it was Herod's temple um, attempting to copy and, and elaborate the Old temp- Testament temple, but it you know wasn't built according to God's plan or design. So even the one that was glorious and beautiful in Jesus' day, that the disciples were so impressed with. Look at all these stones, Jesus says, if not one will remain upon another. That was all man-made. What Jesus is serving, what you and I are receiving from his service to us, this high priest that we now have, is service in the real place of God's dwelling that now is permanently and perpetually open to us because our high priest is there. He is using such rich language that really is incomprehensible. This is something we learned yesterday from Pastor Bruce Tim as he spoke about the the heavenliness, the foreverness of God, the guaranteerness. And we were I mean, I was making mm-hmm. up words all over the place yesterday, um, because it was so incomprehensible. And I was reading today when it speaks about Jesus being the high priest, and when it says minister in the holy place, in the commentary I was reading, it talked about how Jesus is our heavenly liturgist, (laughs) which that was a great way to put it, that he is on high, he is in the real tent, you know, the the tabernacle, the tent, the temple, all a shadow, as we learn later, but he is all powerful, up high, for the sake of serving us. So the, the incomprehensible nature of heaven and the foreverness and the guaranteeness and all this kind of stuff is, is, is incomprehensible. But all that incomprehensibleness of Godness, he brings to us as our liturgists, serving us the word, giving us his grace, showering us in forgiveness. I mean, it's incomprehensible, but even, even getting mm-hmm. a glimpse of it is, is, is so amazing to think about. Any thoughts on those words? Well, the, the the fact that he is the one who is really serving. And, you know, and what yeah. did Jesus say? I did not come to be served, but to serve. And he still serves us. He intercedes on our behalf. His priesthood is eternal. He didn't stop being high priest when he returned to heaven. He's still serving. And I think that's a big part of, of the issue of, you know, the priest dying and having to be replaced. Mm-hmm. This one doesn't need to be replaced ever. He's a permanent high priest, and that was chapter 7, because he mm-hmm. continues forever. He, he's, he never dies. Death has no more power over him. Now we're in Revelation. What is, what is he showing John? He's showing him the place where he serves as high priest. Wow. Now, these, are, these are elements of, of the theology of, of John's gospel and the book of Hebrews. They really get into this concept of Jesus is divine, in ways that the other Gospels and, and most of the epistles never get to, and a little bit in Colossians. But for the most part, oh, yeah. this, is, this is the 
I'm going to use the word companion to John's gospel to understand what John is talking about when Jesus says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. What does that mean? It means he's serving us. You know, and, mm. and what did the high priest offer? He, he offered a sacrifice, including grain offering, and then bread that was baked and put in the temple. And they had this, this temple, the bread of the Lord's presence that the priest then gives to David. Well, what does Jesus give us? His true body, true bread that came down from heaven. See, all these things reconnect when you start pulling some of the terms in John's gospel into the priesthood. And that's, you know, that's part of what the benefit, I guess I would say, of, of you and me having the entirety of the New Testament together. Mm-hmm. We can find things that the people in Jesus' day would have heard, but maybe not had reflective time to associate. But on the other hand, if you watch the high priest taking bread, or any priest offering bread at the temple, and you saw Jesus praising the Father's name and breaking the bread, you might have made the connection. Well, you and I and, and, because we never thought that happened. Well, that's that's the truth, and and it, the connections are absolutely everywhere. And one of the, and we only have a glimpse, you know, we have uh, crumbs, really, of, of being able to fully understand this. And I, I was thinking of how we will talk often about how the churches that we are in, um, you know, Emmanuel Lutheran and New Wells, Messiah Lutheran mm-hmm. and Sartell, that we will constantly have to remind ourselves, I know I do to myself, that this is not my church, this is God's right. church. And that's similar mm-hmm. in this way to the old temple and, and so forth, that this isn't our temple, but this is God's temple. This, is, this isn't my tabernacle. This is God's tabernacle. But then right. here he's just he's stepping it up, you know, 100 notches, a million notches, if you will, and says all of this is just a glimpse of what it will be like up there because we, you don't have just a liturgist, your pastor but you will have the heavenly liturgist. You don't just have a person who gives you the body and blood. You will have the body and blood. You know, you just don't have mm-hmm. one that gets washed. You have the high priest that was washed to serve you forever and ever and ever. This pastor will take a call or pass away, but this heavenly minister, liturgist, will never pass away. I mean, it's just this wonderful comparison of the joy we have in worship now is nothing compared to what mm-hmm. it will be in the heavenly tent. This is, this is so great. Anything else on these verses, Pastor? Well, I think uh, when we see that phrase um, seated at the right hand of, of the Lord in the holy places, or the heavenly places, the Greek word used there is uh, hagios. And I think that probably ought to remind us, if nothing else, of the holy of holies, that when Jesus died, that curtain ripped in two from, from top to bottom, and and that he's now residing in the holy place that's the real one, so there's no need for the temple copy anymore. But remembering that temple curtain, ripped when Jesus died. I don't know, did they replace it? Did they make a new one? Did they repair it? Scripture doesn't tell us. But the point is, Jesus is in the heavenly place of holiness, the holy of holies, if you will. And and because that's true, our high priest, again, as you've said, serves us constantly. So we have this, and, this one who's always there for us. And his sacrifice is all that is needed. He didn't need to have more bulls. He didn't need to make one for himself. That's the language in chapter 7 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he speaks about that today as well. Uh, it's just a wonderful language. Let's keep moving forward. I want to get to verses 3 through 5 before our break and to get a few of your introductory thoughts. So verses 3, and we'll go through verse 5. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices 
Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Pastor, we have about two minutes left before our break. What are your first thoughts on these verses? Well, the, the first one is that the priest had to have something to offer. They would, they would offer gifts. But Jesus no longer needs to do that. Is, and the, the whole idea of the law having been supplanted, you know, we're going to get to that a little bit further along here. But the, this understanding that they're a copy and a shadow. They were never meant to be the real thing. They were always meant to be pointers directing us to the coming Christ. And now for you and me, since Christ has arrived and accomplished what God intended, to help us understand how God invites us into his presence through the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And so, Pastor, it's something to offer. It's interesting because... um, it, it, it just, they were appointed to offer something. They had to have something. But the distinction of mm-hmm. Jesus and the other priests was he gave himself. Why is that an important right. thing for us to remember as Christians? Well, the, the old priesthood uh, appointed by God was intentionally designed to point to Jesus by the offering of an animal. But it had to be repeated constantly because the blood of goats and sheep can't do it. We'll get to that in chapter 9. But in looking at, at this whole understanding the real offering that Jesus brought was himself and his obedience. That's his passive offering of his life on the cross, but his active obedience. None of the other priests could offer that. He did not have to offer first for himself. He offered himself, and that was enough. And so as we look at this passage, if you were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. But since he's already accomplished the work, he is the priest forever. And it's interesting not because to the instruction. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you there. Say it again. It's not according to the instruction God had to give to Moses. Jesus knew his father told him what to do. And he said, I've come to do the will of my father. That which uh-huh. I pass on to you, I got from my father. So it's, again, that same pattern that Moses had. I got it from God. The difference is Jesus is offering himself. What I like of what you're pointing us to is a continual back and forth. of This is what the high priest did. And this is what Jesus is, you know, that, that Jesus, mm-hmm. can, I guess you say, does. This is what a high priest was. So in verse 28 in chapter 7, it says the weakness of the high priest um, and the oath. We talked about this yesterday. The oath is something that they made to God. But the oath from God is, a, is, a, is an oath to us saying, I'll be faithful to the end, basically. Mm-hmm. I'll be with you to right. the very end of the age. And so it's this continual back and forth of showing this is what it was, and this is why this is so much better. This is what the weakness is. This is what uh, it was not um, um, full, but now you have the fullness and you have the strength and everything else in between. So I really want to dig even deeper into the idea of copy and shadow on the other side of our break. But right now we need to take our break. We are studying Hebrews chapter 8 with Pastor Stephen Tice, and we'll be right back.
Our listeners and supporters are talking about Worldwide KFUO. Hello, I just want to thank KFUO for their music and the scripture reading. Just listening to KFUO brings joy and peace and hope. God bless you all. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. In the last 14 years, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has experienced a 59% decrease in pre-seminary Concordia University enrollment and a 61% decrease in Lutheran teaching programs and similar decreases across the board in church work vocations. To answer this challenge, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has begun the Church Worker Recruitment Initiative. To learn all about this, pick up your copy of the August issue of the Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you look at the world from a Lutheran perspective. When people write their own wedding vows nowadays, do they include words like obey or submit? Probably not. Should they? Dr. Dale Meyer helps modern ears to hear and understand an often misunderstood biblical teaching about submission and sacrifice in marriage. As Archives August continues this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. Welcome back. We are studying Hebrews chapter 8 with Pastor Stephen Tice. And it is so, so powerful to hear these words of who Jesus is. And there are times where it's okay to make a comparison. Because when we see a comparison, we're able to see what is true here on earth. And then to get a glimpse of how Jesus is beyond all of this, that the heaven heavens are beyond all of this. The sacrifice is beyond any sacrifice that we can make. And I love the language that's used here. And I want to hear your thoughts, Pastor, because I think about the copy machine I have. I think about when... Um, for example, when my kids were young and they would see my shadow and then they would just kind of be enamored by the shadow, um, that you hear these, this language to talk about all of this serves as a copy and a shadow. What is he trying to point us to as we look at this text today? Well, we're looking at these, these words, copy. Another word for copy is a model. If you think about it, and, and the copy or this um, the Greek word that's used here, image or copy, it really imitates the real thing. And if you look at the Old Testament instruction to Moses, it was detailed. It was three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was attempting to, in physical form, on earth, reproduce what God's dwelling and, I'm going to use the word home, for lack of a better label, is in heaven. And, and the, the description of the Ark of the Covenant, and then in addition to that, the, the tapestries and the the different images that show up in the in the tent of meeting, uh, the tabernacle, as we call it, that God says, here, this is to show you what the place I'm at is really like, even though I can't really do that. And then the revelation that, that Jesus gives to John, he shows him things. And, and in Isaiah chapter 6, he's in the place where Yahweh is, and, and he sees God's glory in the temple. God shows up at times in the physical temple. Solomon's prayer of dedication, and we've mentioned this before. The glory of God shows up in the place where he says, I will make my name dwell there. And these are actual copies of something real, as opposed to a man-made image of what we think it's like. 
we often overlook the fact that God said, do it this way. This is a copy of what you have in heaven. And that's made clear here in Revelation. Now, for us, of course, it's a shadow. The, the real thing casts a shadow. But the thing we overlook so often is for there to be a shadow, there has to be a real thing. Mm-hmm. The tabernacle and the temple are shadows of what really exists. And that's what this is pointing out here in Hebrews. There really is a place where God dwells. And these are copies and shadows of what really is there in God's word to Moses. See that you make everything to the pattern you were shown on the mountain. It's it's not, well, you know, do what you want. No, here's the way it really is. Do it the way it really is, because otherwise you give people a false image of who I really am. This is, again, for you and me, for Christians today, so important. This is why we study the Word of God, so that we know who God really is, what God is really like, so that we can then share His glory and shine His light on others. You know, the, the Jesus said to His disciples, which means you and me as well, and, and Christians around the world, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Hmm. And Jesus came into the world, he is the light of life, and now he says we are, which means we now are copies of the real thing. And because Christ dwells in his people, and because the high priest has brought us into the family of God, and we'll get into that a little bit further along here in this chapter, mm-hmm. we now can show his light, and there no longer needs to be a shadow, because the light is shining in the darkness. Again, back to the Gospel of John. Yeah, you know, you see the the imagery, and we're going to see this even more um, tomorrow and on chapter nine because it just goes a complete review session. I mean, this is like going back to the Old mm-hmm. Testament and Leviticus. And by the way, to you, our listeners, it's a reminder that after we're done with Hebrews, we're going to go back to Leviticus. It's been a long time since Leviticus has been done on this program. I think it was actually way back in the old Bible study days. I know, Pastor Tice, you were a part of those days on KFUO. It's been over 10 years, I believe, since we've done Leviticus. And I love that um, I kind of stumbled upon it, um, but that we actually did Hebrews first, because then we can go back to Leviticus. And it's almost like you just opened it up that you're no longer seeing it in um, black and white, but you're able to see it in full colors because of exactly what you're saying, that we are able mm-hmm. to see it through the lens of Christ and, and how everything that was there is but a, a shadow and a copy of the glory that is, is, is still yet to come. We see a glimpse of it. We see a big glimpse of it with Christ, um, but it continues to see it to this day. Pastor, let's continue to move forward because I really want to get to verses 8 through 12 uh, as it points us to Jeremiah and the new covenant. So let's read verses Mm -hmm. 6 and 7 and hear your thoughts there. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Now, Pastor, what do you have in these verses? Well, I'm, I'm looking at this particular section. Christ has obtained the ministry. This ministry, this liturgia, as you mentioned earlier, this service mm-hmm. appointed by God to a position, is much more excellent because it's based on better promises. Well, mm-hmm. if it's based mm-hmm. on better promises, you and I have to ask the question, 
what were the promises the old covenant was based on? What are the promises the new covenant is based on? As we look at this section, you know, we're looking again back at at the priesthood with Aaron. There's no oath. But the priesthood under Melchizedek, as you mentioned before, there is a an oath. And there's also an oath given to Abraham in the first covenant that in your descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Your seed shall be the same promise really given to Eve, and then David receives it. But those are, to lack, for lack of a better label, those are evangelical or gospel covenant promises. Those covenants are not about you enacting certain rituals that require you to meet standards and you can't enter the, the place of worship if you've touched a dead body, if you've been made unclean by, by a sinful activity or sinful conditions of the body and decay. You can't come in to touch my holy place because you've touched death and you've got the stink of decay about you. Don't come near me. That's all gone. See, those old promises were based on you being good enough to come in. And if you're not good enough, you can't come in. The new promise is you're not good enough to come in, but Christ has opened the door for you and washed you clean, preparing you with washing through water through the word to be to himself his, his holy bride. You know, these, these phrases from Ephesians 5 and, and Titus 3, where we again and again find Jesus making a promise. He's cleaned us up, so now we're acceptable to God. Well, these are the better promises. Christ has done it all. Christ has paid for our debt. It's a better promise. It's a New Testament word of assurance, not an Old Testament word of command. And so we have, for lack of a better label, an evangelical covenant and an evangelical priesthood, or a gospel priesthood. And this is, this is the, the great joy you and I have in Christ Jesus. It is mm-hmm. all gift. Mm-hmm. It's all gift. What we could not do, he has done. And we'll get into that in more detail in the next section here when we look at, at Jeremiah's words. I do want to reflect a little bit on that, the better promises that he says. And I think it really relates to the church today. Um, for example, I, there's been a lot of churches that I'm connected with in, in my district, the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And if you notice things as you visit them and, and get to know people and you notice on the side of a church often we'll have in the cornerstone, you know, in 1873 or 1889 or 1921 or something that, that shows that this was when this church was built or when the church started. And you learn a little more of the history, which I love to learn about. And one of the comments you often will hear is, you know, we had this pastor, we had this pastor, we had this leader, we had this leader. And there's a certain amount of just this continually change, right? It's, it's continually changing. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and there's always, there's right, right. And there's a certain amount of grief that goes with that. There's a certain amount of, of uh, pride that goes into that, which I think is healthy. And, and here it's continually in verse chapter seven, talking about the former priests. You need more of them because they would die and continually changing and continually this and continually that. And he's making this promise for the church that no matter what year you have on the side of that wall, no matter how many pastors are on your list, no matter any of that, you have one constant, one consistent throughout everything, which we all desire. Let's be honest. We want something consistent, even through COVID, even through the changes, as we age, as we go through life. And the consistent is the heavenly liturgist. It is Jesus who always is forever, and he is continually serving you as he did for those faithful before. That, was just, that really struck mm-hmm. my mind, and I think that's important as we 
before we go to Jeremiah, because sure. that covenant must have been a co- constant for them throughout all the turmoil as Jeremiah preaches. Sure. And as, as you look at the verse seven, it, it has this phrase, if the first covenant had been faultless or for lack of a better label, sufficient, there would have been no occasion is the ESV translation to look for a second. Uh, I think the, the word in Greek, the word really is a place, not a, an, an occasion. There's no, there's no room to look for another one if the first one was good enough. But the point is, this, the second one has been sought. And the fascinating to me, at least, in this whole thing is the verb used there for seeking to look for a second one is exactly the same verb that's used in, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is at the temple and Mary comes up to him and says, didn't you know we were seeking for you? It's the same Greek verb. We were looking in the temple. We were looking everywhere, but where God says he'll show up. Seeking what? Seeking the Son of God. And they find him where God has made an exact copy of himself available mm. to the people. Mm. So, was, again, it's one of those minor details where the, the Greek verbs occasionally do things the English verbs don't. Right, this right. Is, this is the, the connection that just jumps out here that, that Jesus can be found. He can be found where he's promised to show up. Still right. today, he shows up where his word is shared, where sacraments are administered, where his people are. He keeps showing up. If you're looking for, for the new covenant, it's in Jesus and it's in his people. So it's available to anybody. There was a church recently that, that I had visited, and, and the church has been there since, I mean, 1870s. And, and there's, there's struggles there. But at the same time, one comment that was made by a pastor when speaking of that church was the reality that here has been Christ since the 1870s. And although there's not as many people as there once was, that there still is Christ, as you said, we know he can be found, that the old covenant was fault was was faulty, but the new covenant you have right here, whether it's small building or big building or whatever it might be, there's no need to look for a new covenant because the new covenant is there for you. It's in that church, it's in your church, it's in other churches, and it's something for us. I, and, and, and it gives us a glimpse, no matter how big or small mm-hmm. the church is, of what the heavenly tent will be like when Christ returns. I mean, there's, there's so many connections. I'm really going back to that a lot today. But I think that's good for us as we look at these last verses. I think I'm ready to move on. You ready, Pastor? Yeah, just one more comment. Uh, no, you look at the end of chapter chapter 7 and this phrase right here. Jesus, is he's both the guarantor and the mediator of that new covenant. Yeah. yeah. He mediates it and he guarantees it. He, he, he sets the deal up and he seals the deal. Or to use a phrase that I'm going to plug in here in a little bit, it's a one-and-done story. Mm. Well, let's continue on as he quotes from the Old Testament, Old Testament from the, the, pro, the prophet Jeremiah. <laughs> Verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with her fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each each of his neighbor 
to each of his own brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. So here, interesting language in verse 8, as we come to Jeremiah. Why does he quote Jeremiah in this way? What are your thoughts? Well, he's, he's pointing out that even, even in the time of the Old Testament, when God sent the messenger of Jeremiah to the city of Jerusalem in the house of David, at that point in time, he was already saying, this is not the permanent covenant. Don't worry when the temple is, is destroyed by the Babylonians. I've got a new covenant that will supersede this one. And the days are coming when I'll establish it. I'll establish it. And it's both the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Again, we're going back to Old Testament, remembering that the term house of Israel means all the people of, of, uh, of Abraham's faith. And the house of Judah specifically refers to the family of, of promise for the Messiah. But it's also the two terms that were used for the divided kingdom, that this new covenant will apply to all 12 tribes, if you will, not just Judah, the southern tribe, the northern 10 tribes are all gone. So this inclusive language comes back to the idea that it will be a new one, unlike the one I made with their fathers. Hmm. This one's going to be different. Well, what's the difference going to be? Well, you know, the, the first part is I, I established it by bringing them out of Egypt. I took them by the hand. I, I basically said, let me lead you in the way you need to go. You can't find it yourself, but I'll lead you to it. And then I led them to the land of promise. But they didn't continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them. Or in other words, he let the enemies oppress them. And, and this whole understanding that the first covenant required active obedience of the people of Israel to be enacted. And, and you go back to Moses' words. It's what God says, if you follow my instructions... And listen to what I've said. I will be your God and you will be my people. But in the day when you depart from me, I will depart from you. The covenant had in its, in its very makeup the statement that I'll leave if you check out on me. So the old covenant had, for lack of a better word, a planned obsolescence to it. It <laughs> couldn't carry the weight. It had to point ahead to something better in and of itself. The problem was not God. The problem wasn't even the covenant. The problem was our sinfulness. And to this day, the problem is always my sinfulness. It's never God. So as, as I look at this phrase here, especially not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, God says right up front, the new covenant will be different because the old one was not adequate. Mm -hmm. God's the one saying it's not adequate. That's not me. That's God. So from the very beginning, although it sounds a little harsh, God gave the people of Israel something that could not do it, but that certainly did point to Jesus. It showed them what God was doing for them in his promises. Because as, as Paul writes, you know, even though we may be unfaithful to God, he is faithful and can't deny himself. And so he had to have a, a good covenant coming up in order to be who he really is. God gave them the, for lack of a better word, insufficient covenant because of sinfulness of human beings in order to help them see that he is the one who justifies and that he is the one who is merciful. And in doing that, he's given you and me this very clear picture 
of a God who wants to save all people, not just the Israelites. And that's another part of this new covenant. We'll get to that a little bit further here as, as you look at verse 10, where it says, I will write my laws into their, put my law into their minds. When I write them on their hearts, they will have my word in them. And mm. this is a covenant I'll make with the house of Israel. And it goes on beyond that. Verse 11, no one will now teach his brother, for they shall all know me. This is, again, inclusive. It's beyond the nation of Israel. And this, you know, this is part of the old covenant facet. It was aimed for one nation. The new covenants for all people. So this is, you know, the, the greater expanse, if you will, of the, the whole covenant theme. The old covenant had limitations. Circumcision was the entry point, but that only applied mm. to males. The new covenant, baptism, is the entry place. It applies to all people. The old mm. covenant, circumcision, on the eighth day or it didn't count. New covenant, baptism, whenever you get it. So the, so the new covenant has got so much better stuff than the old covenant. Not that the old covenant was bad. The old covenant was, in fact, not capable of carrying the freight. But it was still what God gave them to point them ahead to Jesus. And the people who believed God's promises received God's blessings. No different than the new covenant. But, uh, you know, the enactment is, is entirely different, and the inclusiveness is, is far bigger and greater. I mean, the old covenant was you had, to go to, you had to go to Jerusalem, so to speak. The new covenant is go away from Jerusalem. Take it with you. I can be made, met anywhere. It doesn't have to be the tabernacle. It doesn't have to be the temple. It doesn't have to be this building, any building. You're talking about these churches that you know, were built in different years and the cornerstones have different dates on them and the number of people may not be the same. But the Lord still shows up where two or three gather in his name. It can be in Minnesota. It can be in Wisconsin. It can be in Missouri. It can be in South Dakota. It can be in Florida. It can be in South Africa. It can be in, in Belarus, even though the Belarusians are having some trouble right now. Hmm. The word of God's still there. And where the people of God and the word of God are, it's because God himself showed up first. So we have this, this new covenant so much better. And it's, it's written in our hearts and our minds. We don't write it there. God says, I will put it there. Mm-hmm. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. Not might be, not could be, will be. This, is, this isn't an enacted, if I can use that word, covenant, not a potential covenant. God enacts it. Not something we have to wait for. It's now. He's doing it from a high, better than any high priest that has ever come before. Not only better, but he does it perfectly. Um, And I love you. You broke that down so wonderfully, Pastor. As we as we look at Jeremiah, he writes this. The Lord, by the Holy Spirit, inspires him to write this. Also, I, I believe, to tell them the old covenant was not supposed to be the end. <laughs> right. the, the circumcision wasn't supposed to be the end. The, the tent was not the end of the story. The tabernacle, the, the temple, the, all of these things, the lampstand, the bread of the presence, the washings, the rituals, the day of atonement, all of that was never supposed to be the end because Lord had mercy. He couldn't even figure out who to be the high priest, but we needed it yeah. all pointed to the truth that there would be a high priest and he would reign forever. So rest, I mean, 
one of the themes too is to think about this is to rest in that. I mean, we we think we have to do more. We got to do more. No, you don't. It's all done, mm-hmm. and the covenant is yours, Pastor. We have about four minutes left. I want to read verse thirteen. Get your thoughts, and I want you to I want you to us to be able to wrap this all together to see what this means for us today. Verse thirteen. Certainly. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, Pastor, that that can be pretty harsh language there too. Like all that, nah, it doesn't matter. Um, it's gone. It's it's vanishing away. But I think that's an important thing for us to remember to keep it within the context. What are your thoughts on verse thirteen? Well, there there are two things that jump out at me. One of them is as I gradually notice that my body is aging, I'm becoming obsolete. You know, I'm passing away. <laughs> and, and in the process of doing that, it, it's so important to recognize that in my brain, I think I'm 25. Mm. And the Lord uses my aging body to remind me that I don't have the strength and power. This body is passing away. This body needs to be made new. The fulfillment of this covenant, ultimate total fulfillment comes in the resurrection, the last day when I get a new body and I get to live with God forever in his house, the place where Jesus now is seated at the right hand of the heavenly power. That's what the real promise is. It's you get out of this place with better stuff. You end up in the right spot with permanent good stuff. And as I said before, in Jesus Christ, this covenant is is not in need of replacement. It's one and done. He came and served the requirements of God, and, and a new covenant isn't needed. This one's good. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements. And the other thing, as as we look at this, the first one is is old and obsolete, the word that's used here. I think we need to throw in the word useless. Mm-hmm. The old covenant became useless. And this is getting back to what I said earlier at the start of our session. The people of God who came out of the nation of Israel and were raised with, go to the temple, bring your sacrifices, attend the prayer at the temple. There's a high priest still down there in Jerusalem. And now what do we do with that since Jesus died and rose again, returned to the Father? What we do is we say it's obsolete. You know, the, the people that made harnesses for horses, we, we talked about this several months ago, the people that made harnesses for horses <laughs> never thought the harness would be obsolete. Mm-hmm. But along came the automobile and boom, obsolete. So do you want to go back to the harness and the horse or do you want the car? Your choice. Which one do you want? Well, let's stick with the harness and the horse because, you know, the old is so much better. No, it's obsolete. (laughs) And this is the phrase you've heard before. The first covenant was actually planned obsolescence. From the beginning, the father gave them something he knew would not last, but that would point to Jesus Christ. And in his great love, he gave them something that wouldn't last. So they'd be ready for the thing that's permanent. And here I sit in a body that's gradually going older, being reminded that Father gave this to me through the gift of my parents and the life in this world, but he's got something better. And this one will wear out one day and become obsolete. But what Christ gives me is permanent, and it's done for me. And the one who did it for me says, behold, I'm coming quickly. So that's, that's the new covenant. It's the promise that Jesus is on his way back when we live in this now-not-yet tension, knowing that the first covenant was obsolete, this one's good, 
And so even though at times I'm frustrated with how my body works and how the world works, everything's okay because I have a new covenant and it's guaranteed and mediated by the great high priest who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Pastor Stephen Tice, vacancy pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in New Wells, Missouri, bringing us God's strong word from Hebrews chapter 8. Pastor Tice, thank you again for being our guest. You're very welcome. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, Pastor said it so well, planned obsolescence. I've never used that word, but it is true that the covenant was there. It was not meant to be forever, but what was forever and what was planned to be forever was Christ for you, his cross, his death, his resurrection, all for you so that you know that the old covenant is gone, but the new covenant has come, that you are be his people and he will be your God and remember your iniquities no more. Thanks be to God. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.